Well, open up any of the glossy magazines that you find at the local supermarket and you'll find the pages covered with pictures and gossip all about actors, yeah, stars of Hollywood movies and uh, television soap operas, actors who are paid exorbitant amounts of money. Why? Well, to pretend. That's ultimately what actors do, isn't it? They pretend. To, they pretend to be someone that they're not. And the better that they are at pretending to be someone that they're not, uh, the more money we seem to throw at them. But sometimes uh, pretending to be someone that you're not can be a very bad thing. Like the story of the Swedish man who pretended. He pretended to be a pilot. And a Scandinavian airline fell for his performance and they actually gave him a job flying passenger jets around the world. Thankfully, they found him out before he killed anyone. Or the story of a Canadian woman who walked into a hospital and pretended to be a doctor. And she put on a great performance telling patients that they had terminal brain cancer. Yeah, sometimes acting, uh, pretending to be someone that you're not, uh, can be a very, very bad thing. But no worse than when we Christians pretend to be someone that we're not. And as we'll see today, uh, there was, that was a real problem in the early church. A problem which may well have destroyed the early church. And a problem which could still even destroy our church if we don't learn from their mistakes. Tonight we're going to be looking at the second half of Galatians chapter 2. Uh, so if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you, grab one now. Turn, me, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. It's page 824 of the small print or 1811 of the large print Bibles. Now, of course, the book of Galatians, it's actually a letter, a letter written by the Apostle Paul and written to a bunch of churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, you'll remember that it was Paul who originally brought the Christian gospel to these Galatians. That is, he brought to them the good news of the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But now, it seems, Paul has received word that these Galatians have started to turn away from his gospel and started turning instead to a false gospel brought to them by certain false teachers. But who were these false teachers and uh, what were they teaching? Well, it seems that these false teachers were a group of Jews. Jews who had accepted certain elements of the true Christian gospel, but who had also then mixed in certain elements of their own Jewish traditions. And so if you asked one of these false teachers, hey, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died, that he rose again, then the answer would have been yes. But if you asked them how to get to heaven, well, they would not simply said that it's a, just a free gift from Jesus, they would say that you need Jesus, yes, but you also need to obey certain old covenant laws. What laws in particular? Well, one big clue comes from the name that Paul gives to these false teachers. He calls them the circumcision group, or if you're following along in an ESV Bible, the circumcision party. Doesn't sound like a very fun party to me. <laughs> but 
But obviously, they're going around and they're telling people that if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be a Christian, then you've got to be circumcised if you're a male. And what's more, it seems that they're also telling people that you need to keep all the old covenant food laws as well. You know, all those laws about not eating certain types of food like pork or or prawns or rabbits or screech owls. You have a look at Leviticus chapter 11 later and you'll see what I mean. And so these false teachers were telling people that if you want to be a true Christian, if you want to be saved, then you've got to keep the rules. And the Galatians were starting to fall for this false gospel. But not just them. Paul tells us that there was a time when even the apostle Peter started to bend to the demands of these false teachers. It's not that Peter actually believed that you've got to obey the rules to be saved. It's just that he started to live his life as though that were the case. And so whenever these false teachers were not around, well, Peter would happily eat his roast pork roll with his local Gentile Christian mates, ignoring all the old food regulations. But when these false teachers came to visit, well, it was an entirely different matter. Peter suddenly stopped fellowshipping with the Gentile Christians and he started living according to the old, uh, old rules, which meant that suddenly his theology, that is what he believed and, and, and what he taught, his theology, it didn't match up with his actions, the way he lived his life. And that made Peter a hypocrite. And so the next time Paul saw Peter, well, he rebuked him for his hypocrisy. He read with me from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. It's very interesting here, isn't it? See, why is Peter acting like a hypocrite? Well, Because he's afraid, afraid of the circumcision group. See, he doesn't want them to see the real Peter. Why? Because he fears them. He fears what they might say or think or do. And so when he's with them, well, Peter puts on his hypocritical mask and he he plays the part of good Jewish boy, obeying all the rules. But of course, if anybody should have known better, it was Peter. I mean, after all, it was to Peter that God gave that special uh, vision, that that one we we heard read for us about in, in our first uh, Bible reading this evening, that the vision of that sheet coming down from heaven, you know, with all the animals in it, and God telling Peter, go ahead, kill, eat, whatever you want. All the animals, they're clean now, all the old food, food regulations, they're a thing of the past. Yeah, Peter should have known better. But here, out of fear of what these people might think, he, he pretends to be a good Jewish boy in a performance-worthy of an Academy Award. But the thing is, when the other Jewish Christians 
see Peter behaving like this, well, they're drawn into the act as well. Each one caving into that pressure to be seen as respectable Jewish boys and girls. The pressure to conform so strong that even the Apostle Barnabas was eventually drawn in as well. Here, read with me verse 13. Verse 13. The other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And so you see, Peter's hypocritical act had a huge impact on the other Jewish Christians with him. They're all now taking on that role of pious Jew. And we can only imagine the impact that all of this must have had on the local Gentile Christians. I mean, can you imagine when suddenly all their Jewish Christian friends wouldn't even eat with them anymore? It must have made them feel like some second-rate Christians, don't you reckon? Inferior somehow. Not, not good enough anymore for, for Peter and his friends. And I'm sure that it wasn't intentional. But by his actions, what Peter was essentially telling the Gentile Christians was that if they wanted to be true Christians, then they too would need to be circumcised and obey the food laws. I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but Peter was putting a huge burden on the Gentiles. And I can't help but wonder how many of them were actually turned off the Christian faith on account of being forced to follow the various Jewish customs. It was a serious situation and if it was left to continue and grow then it may well have destroyed the Christian church as we know it. Changing the very nature of the gospel to be one where you're saved not by grace through Jesus but through your own attempts to keep the law which of course is impossible. It was a a very serious situation, a crossroads for the Christian church. And that's why when Paul finally met up with Peter face to face, he couldn't just ignore the situation. He had to say something. Here, read with me from verse 14. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? See, Paul, he wants Peter to know the terrible consequences that his hypocrisy is having on other Christians. And he wants to make sure that no one, is, no one listening is left under the illusion that you can be saved by keeping a set of rules. And so he goes on in his rebuke. And he says, yes, you Jewish-born Christians like me, yes, it's true that once we thought of ourselves as being morally superior to those Gentile sinners because we had the law and they didn't. But now, Paul continues, but now we've come to realise that actually it doesn't matter if you've got the law or not. That at the end of the day, you're a sinner. You're a sinner with the law or without the law. And the only thing that can ever justify us in the eyes of God is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Here, read with me from verse 15. Verse 15. We who are Jews by birth 
and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. See, Paul reminds them of what they already know, that no one will be saved by the law, only through faith in Jesus. And then he goes on to remind them of the true purpose of the law. That is, its purpose to simply reveal sin. See, I imagine that there were some people at this time who were saying, you know, to abandon the law, to abandon the law and just put your faith in Jesus, well, that would be to promote sin. After all, it's the law that restrains people from from sinning. I imagine there were some people saying that, but Paul says, no, that's not the case at all. He says, in fact, if he were to now rebuild the law into his life, once again, if he was to reconstruct it and, and live according to it once again, to the best of his ability, he says that even then, it wouldn't make him any less of a sinner than he currently is. That all it would achieve would be to show him up as the sinful lawbreaker that he is. You see, I think um, Paul's point here is that the law is a little bit like a mirror, Okay. What's the purpose of a mirror? Well, the purpose of a mirror is to show you how dirty you are. That's what a mirror does. What it cannot do is wash you clean of that dirt. It can't take that dirt away. It's not what it's for. Well, that's a little bit like the law. It can only show you your sin, but that's all. It can't wash that sin away. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why Paul ends this passage by saying that he'll never, ever pin his hopes on the law again. In fact, as far as he's concerned, he's now dead to the law. He's finished with it, like something from a previous life. And now he's committed to living a whole new life, a new life, not with laws and regulations at the centre, but rather Jesus Christ. Nope, there's no way that Paul's ever going back to relying on the law because he knows that to do so would be to refuse God's free and loving gift of salvation. And more than that, it would be to make Jesus' death on the cross a complete waste of time. He read with me these final verses from verse 17. Verse 17. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
You see, that's ultimately the great danger in what Peter and the other Jewish Christians were doing. They were sending out a message that the Christian life is all about trying to be good enough for God. But by doing so, they were, well, nullifying the very reason that Jesus came and died on the cross in the first place. And that's why Paul had to rebuke Peter. Because it was a crossroads for the Christian church. From this point on, would they rely on Jesus' death on the cross? Or would they rely on their own efforts to be saved? Well, thank God that from the rest of the New Testament, we know that Peter graciously heeded Paul's rebuke. And he stopped with the pretending. And the true Christian gospel continued to be at the centre of the church. And now it's from Peter's mistake that Paul wants these Galatians to learn. Now he wants them to also reject the false gospel of rules and regulations and to return once again to the gospel of grace. But of course, friends, it's not just a lesson that the churches in Galatia needed to learn, is it? But continues to be a lesson that our modern day churches still need to learn. Because let's face it, there are lots of churches out there teaching people that you need to live by a certain set of rules in order to be saved. Now, it's probably not the old covenant rules that are being imposed, but other rules. Rules like, well, you need to go to mass in order to be a Christian. Or you need to be baptised in a certain church or in a certain way in order to be saved. Or you need to obey the Ten Commandments. Or you need to pray certain types of prayers. Or you generally need to be a good person, giving to charity, not swearing, not murdering, etc., etc., etc. But of course, when churches teach this kind of stuff, that this is the way that you're saved, there's a problem. Because our own righteous acts will never justify us before God. They'll never wash us clean. They cannot wash us clean. No, only Jesus can do that when we put our faith in him. Because, friends, we are saved by grace and not by works. But then, you knew that, didn't you? You knew that. Because as I look around here this evening, I see a very well-taught, theologically astute bunch of people. What can I say? Your teachers must be excellent. Now, there's nothing wrong with our theology. But then again, there was nothing wrong with Peter's theology either. But friends, could it be that just maybe that like Peter... Sometimes we live the life of hypocrites. Friends, the fact is we're all sinners here tonight, right? We're all sinners here tonight. You know that. Your theology tells you that that is true. Then my question to you is, what do you see around you when, when, when you take a look around? What do you see? 
Do you see lots of people with broken, messy lives? Is that what you see here tonight? I mean, that's what sinners are, isn't it? People with broken, messy lives. Or do you see lots of proper, respectable people who seem to have life all together, never seem to struggle with any type of sin or temptation or anything else? What do you see? Because my fear is that even we well-taught, theologically astute Christians can, like Peter, sometimes pretend to be someone that we're not. Pretending that all is well in our lives when in fact that's just not the truth. And why might we do that? Well, the Apostle Peter did it because because he feared others. He feared what they might think or or, or say or or do if they discovered that he was not quite the good Jewish boy that they expected him to be. Friends, could it be that we too sometimes fear other people and what they might think or say or do to us if they could see the real sinners that we are? And could it be that the people that we fear are in fact the very people sitting around us here tonight. See, friend, I don't want you to see the real me. Because I'm afraid that if you did, you'd think less of me. Or you'd gossip about me. Or you would avoid me. So every Sunday evening before I head off to church... Put on my mask and I become someone that I'm not. And I pretend to you and you pretend to me and one by one we join each other in the hypocrisy. But that kind of pretending can be very, very bad and it can have a terribly negative impact on ourselves and on others. It can have a terribly negative impact within our church. Because you see, friends, believe it or not, God has given us one another as a means of actually overcoming the sin that is in our lives, of helping one another overcome sin. But when we all pretend that there's no sin at all, then you know what happens? That sin stays in the darkness, hidden kept out of the the light where it flourishes like mould. And our pretending, well, it can also have a a terribly negative impact on outsiders as well. See, when non-Christians come in and they see us pretending to be only righteous and upright, never ever admitting our struggles, then what we do is we place upon them An impossible burden. Like that one Peter placed on the Gentiles. We unintentionally tell them that Christianity is really all about being a good person. Which of course we know is not true. And so in the end, we turn people off Christianity because we impose on them impossible demands. As C.S. Lewis's wife Joy once said, 
one sanctimonious hypocrite makes a hundred unbelievers. And so, friends, if there's any truth to this at all, then I dare say that this evening we too find ourselves at a kind of crossroads where we too can choose either to be great pretenders or we can choose now to live according to the truth of the gospel. What's it going to take for us to live according to the truth of the gospel? Well, just two things. Two things. Firstly, it's going to mean that we're going to have to start taking risks with one another. Being prepared to take off the mask and let people see the real you. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that that means standing up here in church or going to your Bible study and airing all your dirty laundry to everyone. No, no thank you. We need to be wise as we do this. Wise with what we say and wise with whom we say it. But could it be that there's just one or two people that you could share your struggles with? I tell you what, that would be a great start. Allowing someone in that they might pray for you, that they might keep you accountable, and best of all, that they might reassure you of God's wonderful grace in your life as you continue on in the the process of change. That's the first thing it'll take for us to live according to the truth of the gospel, showing others the real you. And secondly, it'll take each of us being prepared to allow other people to take off their masks to then show us the real them. And then us loving them enough to keep their confidences and pray for them and stick with them as they seek to break free of their sin. But friends, you've got to realise that if people actually start doing this, taking their masks off like this, you've got to realise that this place won't necessarily be the, the nice, neat, easy place that you may well want it to be. And life is suddenly going to get a whole lot busier and messier than it currently is. But friends, you've got to realise that that's just the way God has designed church to be. Tim Chester, in his book, You Can Change, describes it like this. He says, it's as if God has put us like rocks into a bag and is shaking us all about so that, so that we collide with one another. Sometimes sparks fly, but gradually we become beautiful, smooth gemstones. See, friends, real church is messy church. But only after it gets messy can we help one another become more like Jesus. And isn't that what we all want? Let's say, would you please pray with me? Pray that God would help us to be an unmasked, messy, genuine church. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to thank you that Jesus did not die for nothing. That he died for sinners, uh, real sinners, real sinners like us. Father, thank you that he did what we could never do for ourselves. Father, please, please forgive us for our hypocrisy. Please forgive us for the times we pretend to one another and pretend to the world around us that we're not really sinners. Father, we pray that more and more we would be willing to take risks with one another, letting others see the real us. And that more and more 
we'd be willing to let others show us the real them. And as we do so, Father, may we become a church of which outsiders can say, now this is a place where a sinner like me can find hope. May we become a church where we help one another to deal with sin, all the while pointing each other to the wonderful grace and forgiveness that come to us through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen.